Welcome to Machine Learning. So this week's been quite a, a, uh, a ordeal going back to text summarization and looking at, uh, at that code, uh, trying to get it to um, increase in value. So I, I worked uh, with an LSTM network uh, and did some text summarization. Um, and uh, was able to get a little some interesting results in terms of accuracy. Um, and you know it's interesting. You can add like these different layers to your LSTM network, thinking that the more layers you add, the more accuracy you're going to get. But that's not necessarily true. Um, because what I what I found is it just took it didn't it really improve the accuracy, uh, it it uh, but it did it, it did increase the training time, so training time increases, but accuracy didn't necessarily increase, and so um, yeah, there's kind of a it's kind of a a art to figuring out how these layers work um, as it as it relates to finding features and uh, and and what that actually means, you know, those hidden layers. And one of the things that was interesting also was uh, that uh, I went to back to a tokenizer method for my encoding versus uh, trying to do it manually. And uh, there was a couple of articles on Ford's data science where they they tokenized character by character. And so they were not, not predicting the word, they were predicting characters. And I looked at that and, and uh, I kind of uh, decided that I'd rather have words because you want you don't want garbage coming back. The more garbage you get coming back from the neural net, the <clears throat> less credibility you have. You know, it's almost like every time the neural net needs to have a reasonable answer, almost like a search engine. You know, you don't want garbage coming back from a search engine. You want reasonable answers to be returned. And I, that's that's what the neural net has to have. It can't have noise. Uh, where you know, one of the things I've noticed with uh, OpenAI Codex when I've uh, posted programming problems is about I would say 70% of the time it's 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 generating noise because it doesn't understand the context of the question. Um, and so the probabilities, it, it, there's nothing like it. You know, it's like uh, uh, that that those type of questions had never been asked, and so the neural net didn't really have good probability paths. And I think that's that's what will happen as we see more of neural nets playing a role in answering questions and so forth, as they need to have good probability paths for the question. So you can see how um, 
neural nets will use uh, be used to uh, be used to figure out questions and one one network may be asking another network questions and rating the other network on the quality of its answers. It's almost like an adversarial network uh, where one one network is working to improve the accuracy of another. I think that that's one of the interesting aspects of neural net programming. Is yeah, the the architecture itself is fairly challenging to get to work. But once you have that working, how you gain that increased performance so that you're not getting noise. You know, once once a neural net has a good probability, a good training set, it, it can perform very well. And uh, and it's gonna respond to its inputs very quickly. And so you can see, like, as self-driving cars are figuring out pathways through the world, the physical world, based on inputs, you can also see that through text, non-structured data, which represents 85% of all the data out there, that the neural net is going to find pathways through the data that help us understand it. And one of the ways that we do that is sequence to sequence. So the idea behind sequence to sequence is that you have a encoder, a decoder, and then you have an encoder-decoder layer, and that's going to generate out a thought vector that is going to be fed into a decoder um, model. And so you load the decoder model or the inference engine, you load it with the weights that you have trained on. So you have input and and you have output or you have your source of target. And then you train that. You get those weights. And then your inference engine, you load the weights for, uh, from the from the encoder-decoder layer into the inference engine. And then um, you start with a seed vector, a start vector. And this is your input vector. And it gets encoded into a sequence. And it's fed to the encoder. And the encoder then generates a hidden state and that hidden state becomes the output for the decoder and it's going to then figure out the probability of the next word and you continue to cycle through the decoder until you get the end of sentence that's how sequence to sequence works now conceptually that's very easy and um but the question is, is, is it useful? Can we get things that are useful where it's figuring out these probabilities really well? And I think that the models right now for sequence kind of sequence are somewhat gimmicky. I mean, they do 
they do get somewhat uh, reasonable answers when you see this, the, this, the decoded sequence because if the, if the summarization or the, the input sequence is something that it understands, meaning it has drawn inference from it or it has uh, paid attention to certain word associations or groupings and those groupings then lead to a uh, target or an output sequence that is understandable and makes sense then uh, yes it will be something that is going to be helpful in the future but it's, it's kind of different from the conditional learning that human beings go through. Human beings, we we say things, and then we we wait for feedback. Um, feedback comes in the the sense that people understand what we're saying, or they're they're kind of confused. They're like, oh, I don't know what that person is saying. It, it doesn't make any sense, or he's using technical terminology that I have no reference from for. And and the computer can be the same way. It could it could return to you a PhD dissertation explanation of of the equations and the effects of those equations and and draw a logical logic from its probabilities. But would that be something that we could understand? Well, you know, when we have a code dump or core dump from memory, and it used to be that you would go in and you would look at the memory addresses, and almost by inference you could understand what the computer was, was attempting to do as it was putting things into memory and executing different sub-routines uh, and branching and um, things like that in the in the memory dump, but it was huge, you know. And back then, it would be maybe megabytes. Today, it'd probably be gigabytes. And and so then, modern languages uh, begin to help reduce the chance for those type of errors, and we begin to. Uh, do lots of testing to prove at the higher levels that the machine would be able to process the data. And those are things that are are like the elementary of neural nets is that you know we understand the architecture, we do simple uh, examples with the architecture to prove it out and then we begin to expand on problems that we face with the existing architecture and then uh, and then uh, slowly begin to, to morph that architecture into more advanced uh, advanced solutions but it seems like that that with computer technology, it, it will be never-ending. And you you learn certain approaches, and you listen to read 
certain books. Like I'm reading the natural language processing book. Uh, and their approach to sequence to sequence was much like the way DataCamp approached it. In fact, DataCamp approached the sequence to sequence through an example of a neural machinery that did language translation from Portuguese to English. And they went with, they did not use the attention vector, they used a repeat vector um, between the input encoder layer and the decoder layer to give the final output, which was a, a dense network, dense layer with um, a softmax activation function. So the effect on that was that you had a output vocabulary to select from, and uh, you had a sequence that represented the, the maximum output sequence or the, the, the language or sentence to be translated, and then it, it looked at the probabilities of each one of the vocabulary. So you had this huge vocabulary, and it was looking at the probability, the maximum probability, uh, or so if you take your vocabulary, all of your vocabulary, put it in a long list, then look at the probability of what word would be the outcome of the repeat vector, and then do an MP max, and that will then give you a, either a one or a zero. So you get a one, one or zero on your vocabulary, and this is for each word that is going to be output. So you can see why in these massive text summarizations, why they require so much memory, because you have you have to load your complete vocabulary into memory, and then your sequence, the size of your output sequence, will be um, the number of out words that are are going to be predicted in the in the output. Because you don't with with translation, you have the problem that maybe one word in one language could be several words in another. And for example, if you're going from German to English, you know one word in German might be two words in English or three words in English. And there might be different uh, ways to to approach that. Um, so the sequence of sequence was really kind of a major breakthrough because it allowed for a one-to-many mapping between words. And so this becomes kind of this, you have a thought, and then you have that thought decoded into an output. And so that thought becomes like a seed, and then it, and as it starts to develop, the, the neural machinery uses probability to figure out what the next word will be in that sequence, and then you get the you uh, get that uh, 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 value back, and then you reverse that value um, in your 
you, you have an index that it's going to return back, and then you reverse that to get your word. So you're, you're taking an index that number that's being generated by the neural net and returning that back. So you can see there's a lot of thought that goes into the machinery to sequence the sequence, and, and you're, you're constantly thinking about the architecture and what is actually being returned. And the way I know how a lot of this worked is I, I took a small sample and, and I looked at what the, the neural net was returning, and then I realized that that's how it was figuring out the words, is it was, it was predicting a, um, the probability of, a, uh, of your vectorized word. So you, you, uh, you take uh, the word, your vocabulary, and then put that into a sequence. So you have like almost like a two-dimensional array. You have your sentences, and then you have your words, and then you have your vocabulary. So it works a lot like the way we we think when we look at a sentence. We look look, look at the how many words are in that sentence, and then we cross-reference the words to a vocabulary. Now, what you can do is you can lemmatize the words. What lemmatizing does is it's a kind of a grouping. Um, it's almost like um, a language that doesn't have vowels. You know, it, 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 it kind of reminds me of some of the archaeology language that that I've I've looked at, where, like for example, the ways of Vikings wrote their characters. A lot of them they didn't have, or the Norse, they didn't write, they didn't use vowels. Um, so you you could uh, see characters like a Y or an RD or a S. And, but the, the characters in combination formed a word, and those words that meant a concept, they meant something. And so lemmatizing does that. You can take your words and lemmatize them, which has the effect of, of grouping similar words together, and it creates like a second level of encoding. And then you can tokenize those lemmatized words into a sentence uh, sequence, and then you use the neural net to predict the word uh, based, and then based on it, you enumerate through the sequence to get its index and the, and the uh, word, word value, whether it's on or off. And then you can use that index to look up what the, go from index back to word. And then you can concatenate that into your sentence. So those are kind of some layers of sequence to sequence. If you haven't tried it, you should. It does take quite a while to understand it. You want to try the simple examples like uh, text translation. 
and question and answer. Those are easy. And, and also, um, I've talked to you about uh, text classification using uh, multi-class. And that, w that was pretty straightforward with uh, using an LSTM network. And, you, you know, the LSTM network has its gate, it has its forget, and then it has its pass-on gate that uh, allows for the network to figure out what's important uh, in, in calculating probability. Cer certain things will be important to pass on to the next state in your sequence, so trying to figure out what the next sequence will be, and other things won't, so it'll forget that. So it's, it's, it's interesting because we have memory, and there's things that we pay attention to that we feel are important, and that's what we retain. That's what we remember. It gets passed on in our brain, too, so we, we, we work that way. Our brain remembers the things that are important or interesting. And things that aren't important and interesting, it may still be cataloged and stored in our brain, but we don't uh, we don't focus on it. And so that's what really important is when you think about it, that we focus on things that are really important because that's what we'll retain. And so if you're focusing on negative behaviors and negative thoughts, that's what you're going to retain. That's why our brain gets traumatized by negative thoughts or, or things that are not factual is because it pays attention to it. And so even though it may not be factual, it may not be true, we start to cling to those emotions and we can, until we process them through and realize that those emotions are not true and, and we're paying attention to the wrong thing then we're going to be paralyzed by those emotions like fear, regret, perfectionism. Those are those are things that uh, are really mean. They're designed not to be helpful, but to tear down the person. So you need to be aware when you're becoming codependent with another person um, that that meanness is something that's irrelevant, and you need to write in your journal about what that, how that is affecting you so it doesn't cause trauma. And be willing to, to walk away from those type of toxic environments if you can't learn to process and set boundaries. Because your personal well-being is worth more than the corporate God. You know, every worker is trying to please corporate God. And if he doesn't, then he gets he may lose his job. But that doesn't mean you have to sell your soul out to it. You don't have to lose your sense of well being and happiness. Alright, that's what I, I think for you know healing for the week, but something for you to consider because there is proof that that is true in kind of this sequence to sequence model think about down at the low level. And so in some ways, we're almost like the assembler programmers of the 50s and 60s. We're looking at how the machine is processing information and why the machine will give the results that it will. 
And so we get these generalized approaches based on probability, and then we um, ask the question, is it good enough and is it useful? And I think that um, if you're interested in writing a PhD dissertation, write it on natural language processing. It's the next big thing. And write it on these systems that are good. I, I looked at DataCamp's chatbot, and it was really bad, really bad. And uh, it couldn't answer any questions. I gave it a question and answer, and it really could not respond. Not like GPT-3. It wouldn't even talk back to you. It just kept throwing out almost the same thing every time I asked it a, a question. And so it was more of a gimmick that they put on their site than a than a, something that was useful. They could say, we've got a chatbot to answer your questions. And uh, very disappointing. I And we have to be careful about criticizing because DataCamp does a lot for help people in helping them understand data science. <clears throat> but for people that have data science and the capacity to understand the value of natural language processing, I thought that that was more of a marketing um, tool versus an actual useful tool that could uh, re be helpful for getting support. And when I put in uh, my request for information for sequence-to-sequence -sequence decoder, it just went out into Neverland. So that was also a second disappointment, that uh, there wasn't an actual responsive reaction to a feedback that I provided for them. So in that sense, unless DataCamp addresses those issues, um, they're going to have more frustrated users and and that will give other sites like Pluralsight, who may be willing to capitalize on that question and answer or that feedback cycle, um, a way to have users receive the help they want. For example, why couldn't you have GPD-3 take all of the video that's been recorded and convert it into text. So it just use video to text and then train itself on all of the text so that it knows uh, context of any question and then allow the developer while they are learning to answer, ask question and answer to GPT-3 and then GPT-3 could answer it with code snippets or could answer it with text, just like you would if you were talking to a mentor or a professional developer. See, these are things that uh, I think that in the training world that AI could be very useful because we're now in a very complex world. Things are getting more complex. Concepts are getting more complex. Architectures. You know, it was always interesting to think what people were writing on their PhD dissertations 
and realize that there are very uh, narrow aspects of functionality that are now very common. Like if I went back into the 80s and looked at what people were writing about neural nets, we do that all the time right now. We use these neural nets through TensorFlow today on a regular basis, based at, you know on a lot of the theory that was created maybe in the 70s. And so we're still using things like F1 factor for scoring or recall precision um, and bias, overfitting. We're doing all these things. But we're using these, these equations that were proved out in someone's paper in code. So we just write our API, we look at the numbers, and then we decide uh, if we've got to adjust our model or change our classifier. And so you have things like data robots that uh, you know are running l several different models trying to solve the data problems and then you know uh, customizing the AI to meet the challenges of business. Lots of businesses are putting their data up into data robot and then seeing what kind of value and visualizations that they can get from it. And so those are are uh, very interesting aspects of the world that we live in today. And uh, we, uh, we want to uh, look at things from a different perspective. Okay, so let's go back to training, and let's look and talk about the value of training. So the, the pattern of most training courses is that you start with a presentation, something simple to understand. You're going to start with some simple concepts. And the simple concept might be uh, why we need a sequence-to-sequence -sequence network or why we use embedding over one-hot encoding. One-hot encoding where it, it converts our classifications to a zero or one in a column, and uh, and so you create a matrix, an identity matrix, with your categories. Well, you can see that there's a lot of zeros and ones in that, so it would be better if you could use like maybe a sparse array, and you could encode that way. Um, where you're only st you weren't storing all those zeros, you're just storing the ones, and it's indexed position. So then you, they created embedding, and embedding reduced down the number of parameters that were required to create the network. These are all really great concepts, and see, and one of the values of training is that you learn the terminology and the language for which your models are operating. So when you see embedding, you understand. Um, I know that there was one case where this week in Stack Overflow on simple RNNs where I answered a question, and it was relating to why did the simple RNN 
have a different magnitude than the actual data? And that was a question that I started to answer, and I actually really couldn't answer that question because what I could see from the RNN was that it was pattern matching to the actual data, but that its magnitude was significantly less. So like, for example, the actual price, in this case it was stock price, was like 400 or something dollars, but the prediction on the simple RNN was like 165 at the, at the maximum peak. So why was it off by a factor of maybe three? And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't answer that question, so I put that out on Stack Overflow to why was there a difference in the magnitude on the results of that stock. And because uh, they could explain why LSTM is used for pattern matching on time series and simple RNN is not. So maybe simple RNN is something that was old technology and that no one will, will use. Well, I, and I, I used the simple RNN on the sine wave prediction and it seemed to do pretty good but you can remember with the sine wave it's not uh, varying outside of its upper band and lower band so you don't have these huge oscillations in the curve you have an upper peak and a lower trough and it stays in that interval between peak and trough and so um, I started to think about that is why it was able to pattern match closer to the sign versus uh, the time series data that I was looking at, which was oscillating, had large variations, and it and so uh, perhaps the sequence to sequence probabilities had to be close. In other words, it couldn't make big jumps in its prediction and so that because the state was heavily influenced by the previous states and so that had an inhibiting effect that's my my assumption of why it, the behavior occurred that way and so uh, uh, I think it has to do with the machinery itself and and so that's uh, uh, one of my theories of what what's uh, happening there. 